When people talk to themselves, we call them crazy. When businesses talk to themselves, we call it marketing. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about how behavioral change can and should influence selling and marketing. It's more about the behaviors than anything else. And to help us cover it, we've got Sean M. Doyle, CEO and principal at Fence Martin Incorporated. Sean, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for the invitation to share a few uh, insights. You know, life is good. We're working in some interesting uh, revenue driving engagements right now, and I'm going to share every secret I got. <laughs> Sweet. So we always like to start with just kind of an icebreaker. And when we've kind of been using lately, people that know you largely through work, what is something you're passionate about that they might be surprised by? Passionate on your personal side that people in, in your work life might be surprised to learn about? Chad, that's a tricky curveball on there. Come on now. Um, you know, I, I'd probably say Miss Archer, my junior high art class is where I'd point to. Uh, light. I'm really interested in light. And in Miss Archer's class, um, we were introduced to photography. And, you know, I think one of the really most interesting things that's become a lifelong following or passion is not looking at the objects or people or things you're taking photographs of, but watching how light envelops it, how light reflects off of it. And, you know, it's really interesting. I, my daughter, who's now 26, uh, we've talked about light all through her growing up. And now she'll just mention, Dad, look at the light on the top of that tree, or look at the light, the way that wraps around that mountain. You know, I think light is just really interesting. So photography and light, I think that's how I'd, I'd have to answer that. That's amazing. That's probably one of the best and, and most in-depth answers I've gotten, which is great. And usually it's <laughs> somebody's like, oh, I'm, I'm into cooking or something. That's an extremely interesting. I kind of uh, like cooking too. <laughs> well, I, li I like eating. So <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we're good there. Um, excellent. So, all right. So let's talk about behavioral change and how it applies to sales and marketing. I always like to start with a little bit of context. So why, why this topic? Why behavioral change and its influence on selling and marketing? Well, you know, okay. So after Miss Archer, I guess we skipped forward a few years and, <laughs> and a friend changed a book uh, or shared a book with me called Changing for Good. And this book uh, is a, a modern day interpretation of some science called the Trans Theoretical Theorem of Behavioral Change. And as I read it, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That's um, it's a lot. <laughs> well, Prochotchka, Norcross, and Di Clemente were the scientists. So if you really want to get into it. Wow. But th this book, Changing for Good was just, it was not about marketing, but it, it laid out this framework of the way that all people make change, the way we change behavior. And it's trans-theoretical, right? It's all models of behavioral change and psychology. And, and I thought, you know, this is amazing. This, this is, and I look at things through a marketer's eyes, 
but I don't look through it with the idea of like silly, touchy-feely, soft touch marketing. I look at it with how do I create revenue? And that's what your audience wants to know. And how do I support sales teams who are driving revenue? And, and how, do I, how do I impact businesses? I want the rest of my life to be uh, a mission to help business leaders understand how to lever marketing in the way they never have before. And it's gotta be rooted in something more than my opinion. And this context that you're talking about, the context is behavioral science. It's, it's changed, but it's codified, it's proven, and it's repeatable. And how many marketers do you know can talk about anything that's repeatable? <laughs> or, <laughs> Not many. You know, I just, we had success early, probably the first 20 years of my career, uh, I did not have this science. And, and sometimes things worked and sometimes things didn't. And, and uh, I didn't really know how to repeat it. And this book, the science just revolutionized the way that I work and now the way that we work. And when we help companies with research and insights or revenue operations engagements or even marketing technology, we're always going to put it in the context of this behavioral science. We call it cognitive marketing. But it's really at the heart of it, behind it, it's changing for good. It's the trans-theoretical theorem of behavioral change. And so this is where the, the statement marketing is science, not art comes from. Absolutely. And so how does it, so let's kind of extrapolate it up a level. So we've got this underlying cognitive marketing approach. How does that come to life inside of an organization or inside of a team? How do they have to change the way they look at things, engage uh, with things or think? Yeah, great question. Um, Chad, I think what I see most often is, and let's talk about money, because right, money is the scorecard in business. Behavioral change Absolutely. science might be about how to improve your life, but we've got to keep the score. Uh, and marketing often has trouble defending itself when that scorecard pulls out. And I think it's because, and you, you can argue this, but because you're more of a sales guy than me, right? So sales gets this last touch attribution benefit. So you can always go and say, we closed X dollars. Well, in a sense, that's fair because you did touch it last, sales touched it last. But man, it's such a, a, a failure on the part of understanding how somebody buys, how ch and, and behavioral change is buying. I guess that's really important to say, right? Or buying is behavioral change, maybe is another way to say it. So I think what happens, the practical context of not having a cognitive understanding of how people buy is you spend too much on what you understand about marketing. And almost everybody understands marketing as creation of awareness and too little on sales in the right places. So if you don't understand marketing, if you don't really have a scientific basis for marketing, then you're going to either rely on sales to do the work that marketing should be doing, which just drives your customer acquisition <laughs> through the roof, right. or, or you're going to be frustrated with marketing. In fact, I would challenge that that last agency you fired or that last marketing director that you fired or were glad they left the reason why is they didn't have a framework. They didn't have a basis of understanding and they couldn't come talk to you leaders of small businesses, mid-sized, um, you know, middle market businesses. They couldn't talk to you scientifically. They, they only talked in a, in a marketing kind of way. So I benefit from the fact that I actually spent the first nine years of my career in marketing. And so did analyst relations and Markcom and running marketing teams and sitting across the table from sales, wondering why we could not ever seem to be speaking the same language. 
And then shortly after I got my, my advanced degree in marketing, decided, okay, well, if I can't figure out why they don't understand me, I'm going to go to that side of the table and jumped into sales. And part of what made me so successful was that I understood the entire journey of how marketing influenced and, and helped uh, set the stage for successful selling. Now, a lot of organizations don't have that. There is no framework for, for that exchange between the two, but understanding why people buy, why they make the change, that is all is really tapping in almost a customer experience or buying experience element of it and designing backwards for it, like coming into the organization instead of the organization out. And so I'm curious what you've seen, um, what you've seen when you started working with clients or we're putting in place this framework. What are the big ahas that the marketing people, the salespeople mm. all of a sudden see that they didn't see before? Yeah, I think the the biggest journey is that I'm not a flake. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am if I'd be willing to say that on the air. I don't know. Um, the, uh, the idea that there is science behind the way you think then unfolds itself in a beautiful way. And, and, and we have, there's a lot of conversation about sales and marketing alignment today. And there's a lot of conversation about demand generation um, sales enablement, customer success technologies. And there's a lot of conversation about revenue operations and this role and how does that fit when you used to have an SVP or a, a sales and, and a CMO. I had that conversation this morning and, and trying to figure out how all these things can become aligned. Well, the way we do this is we use a, the framework as the basis upon which to create the common dialogue. So when I'm in a marketing role and I say, I'm working on a contemplation to preparation conversion or stage two, three in our language, then I can say, and you understand, hey, there's three processes according to behavioral science that work. We can get them emotionally aroused, we can get them rash, cause them to rationally reevaluate, and we can leverage social liberation to help the, the buyer, the prospect in this point, move forward. So I can say that simply by saying, Chad, I've got a two, three conversion opportunity and I want to talk to you about it. Well, if you've taken the time to have the basis of understanding simply four conversion points. You can understand the entire process of somebody going from pre-contemplation through to an exchange relationship with you. So how much simpler is it if you can make your technology, your sales and your marketing, your executive team, your reporting, everything centered around four simple points. And I didn't make up this pipeline, which is kind of what it sounds like, right? Pre-contemplation right. to action. Yeah, it's a pipeline sort of, but it's, it's really more about behavioral change. It doesn't matter how big the funnel is or how narrow the funnel is. It's a one-to-one, -one. it's sales. Even marketing is pointing more toward this one-to-one -one approach to the world, which is great. It is changing everything. Uh, this ability for marketing through digital technologies to be a one-to-one -one marketing tool is just like sales has always been one-to-one, -one, right? It's one reason it's so effectively. All the intuition that a salesperson has, marketing now, if they understand their roles, can leverage that. Um, and I think you meant, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because the, the common language that is really the foundation for it. So some shared type of uh, common language that is, I don't want to say outside of, but let's say it's different than what they're used to. So marketing speaks in marketing 
speak and sales tries to do their sales thing. But if you can find a, a common language that is as simple as that, then there is a way to drive cohesion and consistency that didn't exist previously. Oh, uh, you know what? One of my favorite moments in my professional life is now that I, I call a client, I'll call a CEO or an SVP of sales or whoever at a client and, and they'll say, hey, we just had the greatest three, four conversion success today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're using the language. And I understood exactly what you said. That makes me so happy to see that because it's, it's solving problems for them. Chad, I think one thing that might be kind of fun would be to talk about what almost everybody who has a sales pipeline of any sort gets frustrated with. And this is probably one of the greatest misconceptions. That's when you get somebody who's a contemplator. What do you call it in your sales uh, training, Chad? When you have uh, somebody who just sits on thinking about it. Yeah, indecisive, stuck, yeah. not, not, they're not, they're kicking the tires. I mean, we've got a whole bunch of ways we can name it in the sales process, but essentially they're not, they're just poking around. They're not, there's no urgency for them to do anything. So, yeah, exactly. And behavioral science teaches us that somebody can sit in that state and the science calls it contemplation, somebody can sit in a state of contemplation for one, two years before taking action. So it's, it's interesting because these contemplators, they understand their problem, they see their problem's cause, they understand what your solution might be, but they're still not willing to move forward. So if I'm in marketing, I'm frustrated because I keep providing them information and I can't seem to get them to move forward. Or if I'm in sales, I'm on my fifth sales call and I can't get anything to move forward. So we okay. call them low quality leads. Well, they're not low quality leads. And as management, I need to understand some, just because somebody's sitting in this state of contemplation for two years, it doesn't mean they're low quality leads and to get rid of them, it means they're an asset that's just waiting. It's more of the farmer to talk sales talk. Yep. You know, we've got to understand this is, this is just somebody that we're going to be able to help later. So let's respect them. Let's help them. And then let's apply science. The science says that we can emotionally get them excited to move forward. We can rationally get them excited to move forward. We can use social liberation. So think about social liberation as, oh, wow, the leader in our industry space uses Chad and his model. So I should probably check out the value selling framework. I should, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's social liberation. So we can provide these studies and, and help people understand that these powerful people are using whatever the solution is that you sell. Well, that, that is a freeing effort. And here's why these people can be locked down by fear of failure, just fear of failure and social liberation overcomes fear of failure more than anything else. But guess what? As salespeople, what do we tend to do more often than anything? <laughs> Complain. Provide more information. Complain, <laughs> yeah. Provide more information. Bitch that marketing didn't create the right awareness. Yep. You know, or try to marketing's typical response is to try to create more awareness. But that's not where a contemplator is. A contemplator already knows you, knows their product, knows their problem, knows how to solve it. They're just stuck. And you've got to give them a way 
And that's where our work has been so successful is we've been able to teach marketers, teach salespeople the tool sets and to understand how the behavioral science applied. And by doing that, it gives you aha moments of new things to invest in. Because who thinks about investing in tools to create social liberation? We all think about creating ads. Right. And that's not, that's not what you need. You know, who thinks about the website's function for a contemplator where they're gathering more and more interruption or more and more information and does you know, asking the question, does our website have very clear emotional and rational information? Almost every company I've ever worked with will have one or the other, and it's based on who gives the approvals. <laughs> so if you've got a very emotional CEO, you're going to have an emotional website, and you're going to leave as a barrier all your buyers who want to be rational and vice versa. You know, even, even my accountant, if you ask his wife, has an emotional side. So the most <laughs> rational, the most rational of people can be emotional, and that's okay. You know, there, there's some other interesting science. Gosh, you got me excited. I love this <laughs> stuff. There's some other interesting science out of UCAL Berkeley that talks about fear. And I, I, do you teach anything around fear and how to use that as a salesperson? Not manipulate, but how to use it. Uh, we touch on it a little bit more, more around, it's more about creating anxiety, like using the fear in a way that yeah. creates the anxiety of, of unintended, unintended consequences of lack of action now. That's perfect. Yeah. So, and what you're doing there fits the science. It's amazing. So, you know, regardless of people's tendency to procrastinate, they're looking for reassurance. So create that anxiety, salespeople, but marketing teams, what are you doing to resolve the anxiety? Help support sales as they help move people through this channel. And, and a lot of buyers are looking for this magic moment of absolute certainty. So anxiety is important, right? You're never going to find absolute certainty. You're never going to get this magic moment. So how do you deal with that? You've got to understand. I love the idea of creating anxiety intentionally. That sounds so counterintuitive. but Especially works. when most people want to just calm them down, right? Most sales, most sales reps, when they're having a conversation, they have a tendency to forget that this should be an exchange of equals rather than a subservient type of relationship. If I'm asked to do something... The question I would be asking is, well, why do I need to do that to help you out? Like, what is, what is it going to give you if you're asking me for something? And then if you're asking me for something, then I want to make sure I'm getting something in return, right? Quid pro quo. But then when they get stuck in, in what you would call the contemplation, what we would go after or highlight is, hey, there is a consequence of not taking action. And, and what Absolutely. we need to do is bring that to the forefront of their thinking. Like ask just not through making statements. We're we have a firm belief that questions uncover solutions and statements can create conflict. So we want to ask some questions like what happens if, what happens if you don't Perfect. do X, Y, and Z, what happens if that problem is not solved? What does that mean in your next review? What does that mean to the organizational objectives? Things like that. Well, Chad, Bring I'm thinking is so aligned forward. on this. Yeah. <laughs> and and your, your thinking is aligned with the, with the science out of UCAL Berkeley that says all humans have three types of pain, right? They have, they have pain around themselves, personal pain. Why didn't I get that job? Why, why, am, why is my career not advancing? Uh, why is my family so frustrated with the amount of money I'm making? I mean, there's all these personal pains. There's financial pains. Why am I, I've, I've got to hit this number. I've got to make 
production more efficient. I've got a lower capital X or the, the uh, CFO is going to beat on me again, you know, and there's the strategic pain. My boss has challenged me strategically to solve some problem. So if you break down those pains and create anxiety around those three pains, the interesting thing is I bet what you're really doing is not creating anxiety is you're uncovering anxiety that already exists on the virus part. Yeah. It's not a, it's, and I think it's a really, it's not, it's not a nuance. Selling should be helping. If, if you're creating anxiety as a tool, as a trick, I, early in my career, I got all the sales training in the world and I hated my life. I hated having to have these lines to say, and, oh, you know, if you say this, then I counter with that and I trial close and then I do this and that. And some of that may be authentic, but most of what I was doing was inauthentic and I was trying to manipulate people to buy. Well, wow, if you just ask questions and let people uncover their pains, they're going to end up being one of those three pains, right? They're going to be strategic, they're going to be personal, or they're going to be financial. So executives listening to this, look at your marketing right now. When somebody is in that contemplating stage, or even the next step, when they're preparing to make a decision, does your marketing support messages around all three of those actions? And marketers look at the work you're providing to your sales team. So as a buyer moves through this journey towards a purchase, sales should be more and more involved and marketers, your job should be less around helping people to begin to contemplate and more around helping sales be successful. So there may be things that a prospect only sees if sales gives them. If you know that the science teaches that there's personal strategic and financial pain, Look and audit your own marketing materials. Are you providing answers or a way to see those things, the way to, to get somebody emotionally excited or, or rationally excited? Are you showing case studies of social liberation, the best in the industry, the best in class that's doing this with this, solving their problems with your pain? And that's a different case study than what we see on most websites and most ads. Absolutely, because it takes a level... It takes a level, if we're doing the self-assessment, it takes a level of extrapolation because if I'm looking at my own marketing and my own product, I'm already bought in. I work here. I know my stuff's yeah. cool. And so to be able to look at it through the lens of my potential prospect or buyers to understand what is valuable to them, what will elicit that financial or personal emotional response that values to them becomes something that I, th I see a lot of organizations struggle with because they're so caught up in their own uh, trees. They don't see the forest, right? All I can see is yeah. how cool we are. So when it, this would make me excited, well, yeah, it makes you excited because you work there. Like, you know, you know, you're right. talking about a feature or function or something. We're not talking about what is exactly valuable or to that other individual in any of those areas. <laughs> one of my, one of my coworkers and a, and a friend for a couple of decades now um, has this great line and he uh, uses it with uh, a, a plum and I won't have the style, but he says, um, when people talk to themselves, we call them crazy. When businesses talk to themselves, we call it marketing. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's a true line too. I mean, I bet if you look at your website, your marketing materials right now, you're going to find something where you're talking about yourself to yourself. And oh, who cares? Absolutely. <laughs> who absolutely. cares? Yeah. It doesn't connect. You know, it doesn't I, connect. 
because everybody everybody is centered on the self like we've created and we we could get into all of the sociopolitical reasons that that's happening but i just summarize it with the instagram duck lip phenomenon everybody's taking these damn <laughs> selfies but we've gotten everybody to a point through the apps that we use or the services that are out there that people have this control a customer a buyer has control and they can mm -hmm. see things and get things as they want them, when they want them, how they want them. And that doesn't right. translate to the way that we engage with them necessarily. We talk about a lot of organizations will talk about customer experience and, and what is experience design and what does it mean to market to the buyer at the different journeys. But being able to take that step out and look at it from the buyer's perspective back towards the organization, that, that's a serious challenge that I see a lot of companies st stumble over. You know, there's also a, a great lesson it, that can help you. It's a it's a trick. It's a hack, if we want to use today's modern way of saying <laughs> it, right? It's a hack. Um, you know, when you've got people who are still talking about the problem, they're they're focusing on their current state. That person doesn't need to be asked to buy yet. There's a thing that happens in, in our brains and our model, and it, it's our point of view change. And that point of view change is this. You, you start looking more about solutions. You start looking about the future. So when I hear time, I hear time coming into the conversation, a prospect saying you have some statement about, you know, so if we do this, then that's going to happen. Oh, wow, that's great. I don't even care what they said. It's just a trigger. It means they're looking forward. It's still not time to ask them to buy. It's time to help them think through that. It's time to give them the information they, they need to make to make a small commitment of some sort. And when they start talking about solutions instead of their problems, think what that is. Like that's when I've quit talking about myself and now I'm asking you questions. I am asking you to talk about yourself. So Chad, if we work with you, what's that look like? Whoa, that's so cool. Now I get to talk about myself, right? Chad gets to tell me, I've asked you, I've given you permission. But what happens to that same person when they're looking back, when they're focusing on problems, when they're focusing on the past or their current state, and you say, do you wanna work with us? What happens to that buyer? They're not, they're not there yet. They're not ready. They're no. concerned about the problem. In fact, I retreat, right? Oh my gosh, I got a sales guy. I'm out yeah, of here. It's so, way too salesy. I'm out. Yeah. I think, I think uh, again, I'm going to come back to this lead quality question. It, you know, most of our work uh, in, in our advisory services com uh, component of our business is with that lower middle market um, space. And that's a, a place where there's enough scale and the businesses get leads and they're turning them over to sales and sales calls them and they're getting stiff arms. So they say, marketing doesn't know what they're doing. They're getting this garbage leads. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're trying to close somebody who's still trying to figure out the past and they're trying to figure out what their, understand what their problem is and how you might matter. So it's actually not a marketing problem, I'd say in challenge, it's a sales problem. So if you've got a really terrible lead quality, there's a chance that your marketing firm or your department's not doing a good job. There is a chance of that, I'll give you that. But probably a greater chance is you just don't know what to do with your leads when you get them. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't know what the behavioral science is, is, is saying to do. You know, this, what do you do? What is your plan? What is, and, and sit down, business leaders, sit down with whoever's running your marketing, whoever's running your sales and ask the question, 
hey, when we have a lead, somebody who's contemplating buying from us, what's our goal? Just ask that one question. What is our goal? And see how, how the answers come in. You know, if our goal is to help them move forward into preparing and how to make a change and how to buy our product service, then you've got a great team. If they say anything near, the goal is to close deals, you know, is to get as many people <laughs> in the top of the funnel, then you got the wrong guys. They're, they're, yep. they're driving away revenue. They're driving away people who need to buy your product and service, and they don't know what they're doing there. Another possibility, and, and positioning is the singular proposition upon which all marketing stands. If you're marketing just broadly, you know, we could all go out and buy lists. We can all go out and buy traffic to our website. If it's the wrong traffic and you're getting conversions and leads, but it has nothing to do with your business, there's no need to what you sell, then, you, then you've got a different problem. That's, that is a true pure marketing problem. Um, but yeah, what's the goal? I mean, and, 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 you know, the internet shifted control of information. Buyers don't have to come to your sales team to get information anymore. No, they, they don't. In fact, they don't. I'm in the process of buying an inline or what do they call it? A tankless water heater. I almost bought one from my gas company this morning. I did one search and I discovered five facts about electric inline tankless water heaters. And I am now going to buy another product. I'm going to go with electric and it's the answers why are just clear to me. So great example of disruption marketing. People are going to look for information when they buy anything, big CapEx, personal products. They're going to go to the internet and that's where you've got to be engaged in answering questions, helping people contemplate, help, helping people discover things that matter. Well, no, I just gave you a pure rational reevaluation, right? Well, yeah. Well, it's what now because I'm actually thinking I'm actually starting the process of looking at an inline water heater. I'm kind of well, curious about that. Let but, me tell you. <laughs> but part of part of this, the the focal point on on the solution, on the outcome, on how this is going to impact my customers. Part of that's a cultural and sometimes even comp plan generated result. Right. So if I'm if I'm oh, in a yeah. sales organization that is totally if all my conversation is around, you know, how many leads do we have? How, how are we going to get them across the line? What is our number that drives certain behaviors? And if we switch that to what is, you know, I, I was talking to and I, I'm going to kill me. I forget her name, but she wrote selling with a noble purpose. I had her on not too long ago. And the question that she has people ask is how will our customers be better or different? once they have mm. bought from us. That one question changes the whole approach, but it only lives and breathes and gets watered and gets sun in an environment or culture where we are focused on the customer outcomes rather than our own outcomes. That's brilliant. Selling is helping. Yeah, it is. if it's about yourself, if it's about yourself, the wrong things happen and comp design can absolutely drive the wrong things. Yep. Uh, and the same thing for marketing, you know, I mean, I need leads. I need you to create a thousand leads a month. Well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I can get you a thousand leads a month. But let's not talk about you quality know? or where they come from or hey, the right. salon on the corner is, hey, I can get them to fill out a form. So, <laughs> so here's an idea here as we're looking at money. Let's set a customer acquisition goal for both departments, not separate goals, one goal. 
let's get marketing and sales sitting beside each other saying, how do we lower our customer acquisition cost? And then we can look at marketing customer acquisition costs separately from sales customer acquisition cost. You know, we've all been doing that. Um, you know, trade shows over the last decade have been challenged at the value of them. Um, you know, you pull that out, that lowers your sales uh, cost a lot. If you eliminate travel or a majority of travel, then that lowers your sales customer acquisition costs. And, and I've heard a lot of sales experts say we can all close more deals remotely than we ever dreamed possible. And, oh, yeah. and we all should explore that. But what if you give this customer acquisition cost as the metric and then let sales and marketing figure out what that means? You know, let them let them on equal footing be responsible to the CEO. What yeah, about it's that? Great. It's That's a great perspective. I mean, I love all this behavioral change. And anybody who's been, any customer who's spending time with me hears me talk about all of this stuff as well. It's absolutely fascinating to me how we have a, a tendency to focus on vanity metrics. Um, I'm stealing that phrase from Jason Reichel, but vanity metrics instead of the metrics that make a difference and the ones mm -hmm. that really move us across the finish line. I could, <laughs> I could sit here and, and talk about this for hours, but out of respect for time, I, I do want to keep us moving. So we ask all of our guests two questions, um, two standard questions mm -hmm. towards the end of each interview. First is simply, you know, as, as a CEO and founder, <laughs> that makes you a prospect for a lot of people out there. And I'm always curious to know when somebody doesn't have that trusted referral into you, that, you know, somebody you trust bringing them to your door and saying, hey, this is somebody worth talking to. What is it that works best for you for somebody to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? Hmm. That's interesting. I'd probably start by saying, stop sending me these BS emails. Don't <laughs> pretend like you're friends with me. Right. Don't, uh, you know, per my last email or per our conversation, there's no conversation going on. Why are you lying to me? Right. I immediately delete any, and that is sad. I don't know who's teaching it, Chad. That's if you're the me. guy teaching that, That's I'm coming me. after you, man. No, and you should. If I was the one teaching that, you definitely, I'd, <laughs> I'd hand you the baseball bat. If you're, that was, I mean, that's just horrible form. Oh, it's lying. Uh, yeah, I just did a, uh, with an SVP of sales, a guy named Lee Knight, um, and it's on, you'll find it on our website. If you just Google uh, fitzmartin.com, uh, terrible sales emails. We had a blast. We did probably eight different types of uh, terrible sales emails. So much fun. Uh, so yeah, so don't start there. But I think you've got to demonstrate, you know what you're doing. And most importantly, you know me. So for example, listen, listen to this. Uh, you're trying to sell to Sean Doyle marketing and marketing sales advisor to lower middle market companies. If I get an email that says, Hey, I want to, I'm Joe Smith. I want to introduce my company. We blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read that. But if you send me this email or leave me this voicemail, Hey, I'm Sally Jones. We help agencies like you move from a 40% billable efficiency ratio to 60 to 70% billable efficiency, billable efficiency ratio through a context of consulting and sales assistance and typically we achieve those results in 13 months oh you actually understand i care about billable efficiency ratio right you know i've been in this business for 30 years i don't think i've ever had anybody approach me by starting with a metric that they know my space and my business enough that they can tell me what that metric is i don't have to teach them 
Right. So you, you want to get my attention. And if I want to get your attention, I need to know what Chad Sanderson thinks about or what Joe Prospect thinks about. And I should know if my positioning is not so broad that I serve everybody. Don't, don't tell me you serve everybody. That's also a lie. <laughs> that actually sounds a little bit desperate. But I mean, tell me a number. Just give me an indication that you know my space. Then I'm going to listen to you. I'll give you time. I love it. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales and marketing professionals, just one piece of advice out of everything we've talked about and everything you know, or experience, just one piece of advice that you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed them. What would it be and why? I'm assuming you mean besides hire either Chad Sanderson or Sean Boyle <laughs> to help you. Is that right? Yeah. That's not where you're. Yeah. Oh. We, we want to go a little less okay. obvious. <laughs> okay. 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 I just went way past stage two, didn't I? You're no longer <laughs> contemplating this at all. Oh, yeah. I, I think that um, the acceleration insight I'd offer is make sure there's a point of view I don't care if you use the cognitive marketing model. If you want it, I'll offer you in a second a way to get it, download it, look at it, consider it. Go on to Amazon and buy Changing for Good. Figure it out yourself. Hire somebody that's got a framework like a Chad Sanderson. Just choose a point of view and then teach everybody from marketing, sales, and support it with technology and make sure you have one language. That's the fastest way to revenue. It's not more advertising. In fact, you might even cut costs. You, you just find one point of view and get everybody to the table. I love it. And I could not agree more. So, Sean, where do you want us to send people if they want more information on you or the concepts we've talked about? Uh, what's going to be most beneficial for you? Where can we send them? Well, first, I should tell them what you offered to do. Uh, Chad's offered to purchase a couple books uh, for you. So the first few folks that uh, come to fitzmartin.com slash free dash help, fitzmartin.com free dash help, you will um, find a, a place you can plug in uh, your email for a free copy of Shift. Shift is a book that was published uh, last year by uh, Rock Bench Publishing out of Nashville. And it's 19 ideas for executives in charge of marketing, but not trained for the task. On that same page, you can also, I'm, I'm opening, I'm too old. I don't have any secrets. I'll tell you anything. <laughs> There's, I've got a discovery video series. Um, you can watch videos to understand this consumer decision journey and the science a little bit better. And there's worksheets and tools there. It's all free. Have fun. Enjoy it. And I promise I'm not going to rail on you by and make you go, oh, I never should have given that guy my email. <laughs> In fact, I think most of it's, I don't think it's even gated. Just, just come and enjoy it. The, the, the book is gated. I got to know your address if I'm going to mail you a book. And thank you for doing that, Chad. That was nice of you. Yeah, no problem. Sean, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Oh, man, your podcast is changing lives and helping people. <laughs> and it's fun to be part of it. Thank you. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with your friends, family, coworkers. Put your kids in front of it if you're tired of chasing them around the house. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.